Hey, this is Robert Mitchell, and this is episode 18 of High Tide in the Dreamtime. I'm making it pretty soon after I made the last one, because the last one was sort of something I had meant to do for a while and hadn't done. I was a little bit of a slacker with it. So um, it was like a a homework assignment that I hadn't turned in, because it was on cigarette smoking and psilocybin and death which is a very specific kind of theme and today's podcast is really inspired more about or more inspired by a dream I had last night that reminded me of other dreams I've had and one of the things I've done with my life uh, as a as a project, is I have recorded about 8,000 dreams over the past 27, 28 years. And originally, I did it because I was in a Jungian analysis when I was in graduate school. And analysis was required of me while I was seeing clients. And I just, suddenly I realized I dreamed a lot. And what it has developed into is that over time, I'm able to see that there are recurring themes with recurring people and recurring places, and that these things are usually part of my own kind of unconscious topography, but they're not just mine. It's kind of this eternal space that my life and everybody's life takes place within, and and by recording these dreams and by organizing them by place, time, and person, I've been able to sort of map things out a little bit. And it's really helped me with the meaning of things because if places return, it means it's something I'm unaware of in my consciousness. That's really, to me, what dreams do. And you can, I have a bunch of essays on this on goingquantum.com, but if, if you continue to dream about the same things, it's because your ego state, which is conditioned by your experience and your understanding of yourself, is excluding an awareness of access that you have on purpose. Because in your limited self-definition and your limited historical uh, identity and your limited biographical impact on your state of yourself, Um, you're excluding things that are you that either haven't been stimulated by your experience or haven't been encouraged or are kind of too scary for your ego to tolerate because if, if it was aware of these parts of you, then its whole state would change. And so that's sort of the premise of what I'm going to talk about today. The today's talks called, um, today's podcast is called fishmongers. And it comes from an essay that I wrote, I read. Um, it was a very short essay. I'm going to start off by reading it. Um, I began the year that uh, before my son was born to read a lot of Vedantic philosophy. It's mostly mystical Hinduism. And particularly, I read this uh, saint called Vivekananda, who had been a big part of the rise of Eastern thinking in the West. And I wrote down several hundred things he said by hand. 
because they were so magnificent. And I have them all in the book. Um, and sometimes I look at them and it reminds me of, of a more mystical orientation towards reality. And this one saying popped to me a few months ago. And I wrote it down. And, you know, like everybody else, I am often trapped in my own ego state which is really like a callus against the realities I found myself in. And most people's ego state it, it, it usually is the source of their unhappiness and it's the source of the behavior that isn't ideal in them. And I am no different from this, even though I dream and I'm interested in psychedelics and astrology and all that stuff. But all of our ego states are conditioned. No matter how well they work or don't work, it's not actually something that exists that is real. It's just something that we kind of put on. Anyway, in, the, in, in Vivekananda's book that I have, he said this thing. It's a very short story, and I think it's wonderful. He said, the world is like a group of fishmongers who have traveled far to take their fish to market. After selling them, they begin their journey home only to be caught in a huge rainstorm. They are offered shelter in the home of some florists whose gardens are filled with many fragrant flowers. The florists are generous and good hosts. However, the beautiful scents of the flowers are so foreign that none of the fishmongers are able to fall asleep at night. One by one, they retrieve their fish baskets from outside and placed them by their heads. And one by one, they were able to fall asleep. The world is like these fish baskets. And I'm not going to talk too much about the interpretation of the story. But I think what it points to is that there is, in fact, a mystical reality that we all have access to. And we screen it out by our conditioning. And sort of in the dream I had last night, you know, I really worked with it a bit. The dream was this, I put on my Facebook page today, that I was in some kind of wilderness in Los Angeles that had either preceded civilization or followed it by many thousands of years, but it was in the hillsides uh, of Los Angeles before there was anything built. And I was in a lean-to that had been erected there and what I realized was happening was that they were eulogizing the Rainbow Bar and Grill, which had been in this precise spot. And all of the Sunset Boulevard, all of Los Angeles had evaporated like the water on a pool deck on a hot summer day. And what was left was this primordial reality you know, like just hills and grasses and bushes and mountainsides. And I've, I've dreamt about Los Angeles like this before. I can think of two, I can think of a few dreams I've had where I've had this experience of Los Angeles. And what I'm always being shown, I feel like in these dreams, and everybody has their version of this, this is just how my dream life works, is the primordial origins of my own consciousness of the, my consciousness that exists before it's conditioned by my parents and my environment 
and the likes and dislikes of other people. So for me in the dream, you know, I think about um, my parents probably conceived me in West Hollywood in the hills on King's Road in the late 1960s. And I never knew Sunset without the Rainbow Bar and Grill on it. It was just always a part of Sunset. And Sunset Boulevard was always something I related to because when I was a child, it, 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 he came down from Coldwater Canyon and everything was on Sunset, restaurants and banks and uh, liquor stores. And it, it just all existed before me. It was all somebody else's vision of how things should be there. And I think in the dream, the dream is returning me to something that I experienced or something I was a part of before I became conditioned by all that. And mostly I think what we become conditioned by are our antecedents and their understanding of things. Our parents, their parents, our friends and their parents, our teachers and their parents, um, the people around us who have power. In this case, what was happening in the dream was people were talking about the Rainbow Bar and Grill and its heyday. It no longer existed. We were just in a lean-to that somebody put up so we'd be out of the sun. And they were talking about Lou Adler, who had founded it, and he had been such a big influence on that area, and Sunset Boulevard, and, you know, the six, late 60s, and the, you know, producing music, and, um, you know, the Monterey Pop Festival in the late 60s, and then he was uh, always courtside at the Lakers, you know, across from Jack Nicholson. And it really made me think about like, what are the things that we relate to about ourselves that are about coming in contact with other people? The likes and dislikes of other people, the likes and dislikes of our parents, the capacities of our parents, the incapacities of our parents, the preferences of our friends who are conditioned by culture as teenagers trying to fit in. And how do we lose touch? How do I lose touch? I mean, I'm gonna be 52 soon and I'm having this dream. How did I lose touch with that primordial reality that preceded my identity, that was really formed in relationship to everybody else, that was really formed in relationship to the Rainbow Bar and Grill, always being in a certain place on Sunset Boulevard. So I took that as something that I related to, but what are the other things that I've related to? Who are the people? And what are the parts of myself that are unmet in those experiences? And how do I not allow myself to experience those parts? You know, um, in the, in the dream, there's a eulogy happening for the place because it's no longer there. And it's kind of scary being in the wilderness it's kind of scary not having those points of references anymore because everybody's ego is built on limitation. It's a structure that we create to cope with our environment. And like I always say to people, it's like a callus. And the more that the self, which is the dreaming self or the psychedelic self or the meditating self impacts that identity, the more expansive that identity becomes, the more free it becomes. So as it relates to that particular story about the fishmongers, they can't relate to the beauty. They can't relate to the perfume of the flowers because they're so conditioned to smell fish.
that what they do is they have to go and get their fish baskets and put them by their heads to camouflage the scent of the beautiful flowers, of the fragrance and the sweetness of the flowers. And we all do that. We all say, this is who I am. And this is the limit of who I am. And I can't do this and I can do this and I'm not comfortable with this and I shut down when this happens and I'm not generous with other people and I'm not generous with myself and I don't expect in generosity from people. I don't expect kindness because I haven't encountered it before in these situations. That's what's being offered to these people with the fragrance of the flowers. And... You know, I remember, I've had a few dreams that were like in this area of this dream that happened last night. (laughs) You know, uh, I sort of grew up in the mountains above Los Angeles and behind Los Angeles. It was in Los Angeles, sort of like Coldwater Canyon. And I've spoken about this before on podcasts. But I can remember another dream I had maybe 10 years ago. And the dream was this, that I was in Coldwater Canyon in like 1973, when I would have been like five, but I was an adult, but it was like 1973. And the Sticky Fingers era Rolling Stones were playing in a meadow there. (laughs) And there were a lot of people hanging out, you know, a few hundred. It was obviously something that a few people knew about. And I was there and they were just rocking. And I was kind of rocking along and dancing to it. And I was just enjoying the whole, the power of it, the power of rock and roll and feeling it going through me. And every once in a while, I noticed that my mom was there. (laughs) And every time I noticed my mom, I lost the feeling. I lost the ecstasy. I lost the participation mystique of being caught up in this and moved by it and having it move my body and having it release restriction and having it filled with joy, you know? And that happened three or four times during the dream. And I just really realized that I probably should have just kept looking at the Rolling Stones. Um, And, you know, there are times where I can, I can kind of look at my, my experience and be like, am I looking at my mom? Am I looking at the Rolling Stones? That's the wonderful dr- thing about dreams is they give you metaphors that you can live by. You know, if you write down your dreams, if you work with your dreams, they'll give you things that are w- worthwhile during your day. Just like psychedelic experience as well. Because the only value in a psychedelic experience is if it gives you some utility to engage your day with afterwards for days and weeks and months. And dreaming is the same way. And so are writing down stories like that fishmonger story. And we are all so much freer than we realize in our experience of ourselves, in our capacity to give to other people, in our capacity to love, in our capacity to feel compassion for ourselves and not just noticing all the things that are coming for us or that are limiting us. And I know for myself and my own experience, when I'm connected to that primordial reality, my generosity is limitless 
because that that reality that precedes life, follows life, and is interwoven in life is sourceless. You know, if you want to talk about it in a quantum way, it just it, it there is no time. It's always been there. It's always going to be there. I'll be able to draw on that reality in my own death to support me. And this real tragedy in my life and other people's lives is when they don't draw on that reality while they're alive. Is when they suffer in the structure of their ego which was really only designed to protect oneself and isn't letting that in, isn't letting that primordial reality shine in and support them and make them feel their origins beyond their conditioning. It is really the most important thing for people's mental, physical well-being. I am 100% sure of that. And so, as I finish this up, because I don't want to make it too long or, or too much about me, try and look around yourself today. Or try and catch yourself grabbing the fish basket. Try and catch yourself keeping yourself from drawing on something even bigger than you that is you and knowing that there's really no answers on CNN about the coronavirus because or anywhere and that's all just information that that's fish baskets connect with something that precedes this life follows it and is interwoven in it That makes you feel big and open and generous and safe and loved. Because that's what that primordial reality is. I know that from from dreaming about it. It's that there's a reality that precedes my conditioning and my likes and my dislikes and my comforts and my discomforts that have been so limiting in my own life. In some ways it hasn't been limiting and in other ways it's been extremely limiting just like it has been for everybody else. But there is an expansiveness in allowing yourself to be in the floral garden of your origins. To know that your consciousness existed before, you know, I think there's a Zen saying, what was my face before I was born? And that your consciousness is unitive, that it's a part of the all. And the part that you just tighten up and go, that's me, this is what I do, this is what I'm good at, this is where I'm safe, this is where I'm not safe, these are the bad things that could happen to me, these are the parts that, that, these are the catastrophes that could happen to those I love. It's not that. Those are going to be there. But it's super important to connect to the generosity and the magnanimous nature of your existence that's given you a healthy, strong body and has given you a life. And whatever you want to call that, connect to it. Don't look to grab a fish basket to make yourself feel better. 
from all these different things. Or to make the, the fish basket of familiarity. Not to make yourself be, feel better. What's going to make you feel better is going to be allowing you to connect with that primordial reality. I forget to do it myself all the time. And I do a lot of other things that require, that are less intelligent and require less insight and require less compassion for myself. It's the source of all suffering as a human being. It's the source of all addictions. It's the source of all unkindness. And people can go their whole life holding their fish basket next to their head because it's the familiar part of themselves that they understand through their own conditioning. So I hope that this was helpful in some way. I just felt inspired by it today. I don't usually do these podcasts so quickly together. Um, but uh, I just felt like it was something, it was something I, I needed to do. All right, I hope somebody gets inspired by this. And I look forward to speaking to you guys soon. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.